I really appreciate Clay and the gang for uh, working up that and appreciate their talent that it can sound almost as good as it does on the radio, right? And uh, I appreciate that so much. And take the video and splice them together and all that stuff that I have no clue how to do. And, and I, just, I just appreciate um, everybody around here that makes Zinyanaz what it is. It makes it so much better than it could be if it was just me alone. So um, appreciate that so much. Uh, lots of letters. Um, not going to be able to read them all, especially all of them in their entirety. Some of them I'll read a paragraph. Some of them I'll just pull out a sentence. It just went way long in the first service and uh, but I think it's, there's some meaningful stuff in here. There's some heartbreaking stuff in here. There's some stuff that will hit you pretty hard in here because even if you didn't write your letter, that you'll identify with a lot of this. Some people wrote their letter and told me they couldn't send their letter because it was just too painful, and, and, but they felt like it was healing for them to write that letter. So I hope it was a good experience and just a really, really powerful song, especially when you hear the story behind the reason he wrote the song. We have a couple of Dear Younger Me letters in the Bible. Uh, the book of First and Second Timothy are written by Paul to Timothy, what he calls my son in the faith. Not his birth son, but his son in the faith. And he writes a letter about how to be a pastor and, and about how to grow up. And that's pretty much what First and Second Timothy is about. And then we have the book of Proverbs, which was written by a father to his son. And a lot of the book of Proverbs, the different chapters start with the phrase, listen, my son, to my words. And so it's not too much of a stretch to, to pull the book of Proverbs out and say, this is a dear younger me uh, letter. So I want to start there today in Proverbs chapter 1 and show you a, a little bit of biblical content. And I'm going to read the letters. And <clears throat> between the letters throw in biblical content that is particular to the letters that, they, uh, that you all have written for us. Uh, I think it's fascinating. Uh, I've never had this thought in my life until the men's Bible study on, on Tuesday night where we were talking about Dear Younger Me stuff and they were kind of helping me prep for the sermon a little bit. And I had this passage, but until I read this passage, I never had this thought pop into my mind. But as soon as I read it, this thought just popped into my mind. Look at who wrote this book. This book is, most of these chapters are written by Solomon. Now, if you know biblical uh, history a little bit, you know that Solomon came from an adulterous relationship of David and Bathsheba, uh, a relationship that should never have been. Okay? And, and some of you that, that, un, that have, have read that story know, the st- know it and know that David one night was just looking out on the balcony and he, and he saw Bathsheba and he called for her and committed adultery with her and then doubled down on his sin. Literally, I mean, this is, I mean, this is a man that, that God eventually calls, that the Bible eventually calls a man after God's own heart. But he doubles down on adultery and uh, to cover up that adultery commits murder. That, that is one of the reasons I trust the Bible because it doesn't, you know, if I'd written the Bible, I'd made everybody look really good, you know, but the Bible just kind of lays it out there and you don't get anything hid there. And that, that tells me that, that God has inspired men to write these words because we would have covered that stuff up. Now that, that is just, that is afternoon talk show stuff. After, you know, soap operas. They still have soap operas now? Soap opera stuff. They used to have soap operas when I was a kid. And, but, but here, this, this book of Proverbs is written by Solomon, a product of an adulterous relationship, a product of a relationship that should never, ever been. Bathsheba was his mom. David was his dad. But God uses him. 
The Bible says that Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived. Now, I don't know how that jives with the fact that he had 700 wives, and that, that those two things don't add up to me, but I just have to leave that with the Lord, okay? But this product of a relationship that never should, been, should have been, okay? David and Bathsheba. David and Bathsheba, they have an adulterous relationship. That child eventually dies, but David marries Bathsheba to cover all that kind of stuff up and all other things. And then the, the next child is Solomon, wisest man who ever lived, writes the book of Proverbs, became the king of all of Israel. Dear younger me, God can redeem any situation. There is no situation, dear younger me, that is so bad God can't make some good out of it. He didn't cause the situation, but if you'll give it to him, he'll make good out of it and redeem that situation. So I don't care, dear younger me, who your mom and dad were. I don't care what side of the tracks they were from. I don't care how bad of a job they may have done as parents. I don't care how you were conceived. God can take your life. And make something beautiful. And make something. Dear younger me, you need to know that. You need to know that. And God just, it was just, it, God just brought that to my mind Tuesday night. I never ever had that thought before in my life. And that's how good God is. And, and, and dear younger me, know that no matter where you're from or who your parents are, or what side of the tracks you're from, God can take your life. And he can redeem it, make something beautiful from it. What else do we have up here, Amy? What are, now, he's de- describing what the Proverbs are for, for gaining wisdom and instruction. That's a good thing right there. Dear younger me, wisdom is learned. Wisdom is not something you're born with. You, you just haven't been gotten bad DNA from your mom and dad, or you just didn't get that bad education. You can learn wisdom. It's not just something that's deposited. It's not that you got so much of it when you were born. It's not that your DNA is not good enough. It, the Proverbs say that, uh, Solomon says that the Proverbs are for gaining wisdom. It's good news, friends. Wisdom's learned. Oh, it's, it's those people that went to those Ivy League schools, or it's those people who went to college, or it's those people who lived in that side of town, or it's those people who went to that school. Wisdom is learned. It's for, the Proverbs are for gaining wisdom. That's good news for every single one of us in this place, no matter where we are. You find yourself right now who the Bible may call a simple person, a person that may not be very wise in the ways of the world. Wisdom's learned, friend. Start learning. Wisdom is learned. And no matter where you are, you can, if you apply yourself to it, Wisdom can be learned, and you can be what the Bible calls a wise person. That's not necessarily a smart person that may know physics inside out. It's, it, the Bible defines a wise person as one who makes good choices. It doesn't make any difference if you know, if, you know, if you know Calculus 3 or not. Uh, wisdom is the ability to make good choices, and that's what the book of Proverbs is written for, acquiring wisdom. Dear younger me, wisdom is learned. For, gaining, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior. Prudence is a word we don't use very often. It's just wise. Doing what is right and just and fair. For giving prudence to those who are simple. Knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen 
and add to their learning. Uh, Dear younger me, you're never too old to learn anything. Dear younger me, don't let don't think that you've got all the wisdom that you're ever going to get. Do, dear younger me, don't, let, don't ever think that you know it all. Dear younger me, don't let you think that you've got this world wrapped around your little finger. Proverbs say that let the wise people listen and add to their learning. Dear younger me, keep learning. Dear younger me, don't shut yourself off from learning. Dear younger me, you'll never reach the pinnacle that you've learned everything that you can possibly be able to learn. Don't think that you know it all. No matter where you are, no matter what station in life, there's stuff left to learn, dear younger me. Don't forget that. Now, I could continue to go through the book of Proverbs and write you really short little dear younger me letters. And it's kind of cool to go back and read the Proverbs that way. But I'm here to, to, to incorporate your letters in this, okay? Some of you didn't take this very serious, by the way, because this, this person said, kind of smart aleck, like I would have been probably, dear younger me, bet everything you have on the Chicago Cubs winning the World Series and Donald Trump winning the presidency both in the same year, you will retire rich. <laughs> I asked my son, Christopher, I said, Christopher, if you had to write a dear younger me letter, Hold you right. He told me this last night. Dear younger me, Han Solo dies in Star Wars Episode 7. <laughs> I'm sorry if you haven't seen it and I just spoiled it for you. I'm sorry. All right, let's get a little more serious. Okay, here we go. Dear younger me, this came through in over half of the letters. Okay? Dear younger me, don't worry about what others think of you and trying to always please everyone. That came through in one way or another in well over half of the letters. Dear younger me, don't worry about what other people, what others think of you and trying always to please everyone. Proverbs 29, 25, that's the fear of man. We're fearful what people think of us. We're fearful that we would disappoint someone. We're fearful that we let someone down. And we talked about this four or five weeks ago in our Get Over It series when we said get over uh, having to please others. The fear of man will prove to be a snare. You know what a snare is? snare is like a trap where you catch an animal in. It'll, it'll be a trap for you. It'll be a trap for you, dear younger me. Dear younger me, your family really isn't that uncool. (laughs) You you heard about the guy that went off to college when he was 18 and couldn't believe how stupid his dad was. And when he came back four years later, 22, he couldn't believe how much his old man learned in four years. Your family really isn't as uncool as you think they are. Dear younger me, it won't be easy to stand up for your beliefs, but you will be glad you did. It won't be easy to stand up for your beliefs, but you'll be glad you did. 
Dear younger me, open the lines of communication early with your children and keep them open. Talk about what interests them. Even if that, this, this convicted me. Because Christopher, I'm, I'm not that interested in Legos, okay? And Levi, Minecraft doesn't turn my crank like it turns yours, okay? Talk about what interests them. Even if it doesn't interest you. Open the lines of communication early. If I open them early and I I get out of my selfishness and talk about what interests them, maybe when they're 17 and 18 and they're talking about really important stuff, they'll talk to me because I listen to them talk about Minecraft and Legos. But if I don't teach them now that I'll listen to them, what are they, will they come to me when they have a very important issue? Proverbs 18, verse 2. Fools find no pleasure in understanding, but delight in airing their own opinions. When I talk to my boys a lot, I air my own opinions, okay? Because I'm the dad, and I know what's right. And, and, to, and to a, to a, to a, let's be honest, to a large extent, that's right. It is right. I know what's right. They're still learn, young and they're learning. So I, I do. And we, and we all should as moms and dads. We should let them know our own opinion. But fools delight in, in doing that all the time. Uh, and, and we have no pleasure in, in understanding what they, what's about for them. What's it like to be a, 11-year-old and a 14-year-old and I can tell them and I'm right that what they're going through now will not be a big deal for them in five or six years but it's still a big deal for them now and I'm absolutely right and this when you're 20 you won't even remember this I'm absolutely right on that but they remember it now keep the lines of communication open dear younger me with your children. Talk about what interests them, even if it doesn't interest you. Dear younger me, when you have kids, tell them you love them and tell them a lot. I think it goes without saying you not only tell them, but you show them. Some of your parents, some of your parents weren't able to do this. And their parents probably didn't tell them and I I don't get all that I'm not smart enough to understand all that but let's break the cycle tell them you love them let it come easily from your lips and if you start now if you start now when you're 40 and 50 and they come back to visit you a big hug with I love you dad will be the easiest thing in the world I love you son but it's got to start early Those things just don't happen. Dear younger me, tell your kids you love them and tell them a lot. Dear teenage me, 
Your family is not defined by blood type and genetics. This was from a female that was adopted and struggled with that adoption. Your family is not defined by blood type and genetics. You have not been abandoned. We wonder why our teenagers do some weird stuff. Many of them are acting out on on stuff that we have no clue of what's going on. Dear younger me, don't pick up that magazine. I know it's making your heart race. But what you think will entertain you and thrill you will only deaden your emotions and reinforce your selfish heart. Don't pick up that magazine. It will take your zest for life and it will control you. It will take your passion and it will numb you. Your death will be a slow and subtle death. You won't even realize that you are secretly suffocating. Don't pick up that magazine. It will wrestle you to the ground over and over and make you think, That this is all you'll ever be. You'll feel guilty. But you'll do it again tomorrow. Don't do it. You will sink into despair. Because only you will know. Who you really are. And that will terrify you. Several letters. Spoke about pornography. Several letters. Psalm 103. I will not look with approval on anything that is vile. One of the things that I always tell, try to tell kids when I'm in front of kids or to speak with kids is something that everybody here knows, but it's just hard to put into play. You know, sin has its consequences. The choices that you make as teenagers, as teenagers, will carry on. You can be marvelously forgiven for those choices marvelously forgiven for those choices. But the things that you put on your brain at a young age don't just come off. There are consequences. I was president of the Salk Valley Men for Christ. This would have been in 1995. The Salk Valley in Illinois is kind of like the Miami Valley here. It's, it's a geographical region. It was, the, in, it was in the time when the Palmer's Keepers movement was at its heyday. And so we started a local kind of Promise Keepers, and it was a Salk Valley Men for Christ, and I started it, and I was the president. This is the time that I was dating Sue and eventually married her on November 18, 1995. Before I would marry Sue, I went to the hospital to have a blood test. Some of you know what I'm getting at. I walked into that hospital as the president of the Salk Valley Men for Christ and had to tell them that I just needed to make sure if I got married that I didn't have some sexually transmitted disease. 
Sin has consequences. She didn't recognize me. She could have said, aren't you the guy that, wasn't that a minute? How embarrassing that would have been. I was marvelously forgiven for that. I was forgiven over two years ago for, for that in 1993. But sin has its consequences. Some of you remember Chuck Colson, who was one of Richard Nixon's chief assistants and very high up in the White House and all in that Watergate mess and all of that. And he was one of the main people that ended up going to jail. Before he went to jail, he had a dramatic born-again conversion. Marvelous forgiven with all of the political shenanigans that he went through. He still went to jail. He still went to jail and paid for that because our choices matter and there are consequences for our choices. There's consequences for picking up the magazine or in today's vernacular, clicking on the website. At the marriage thing last weekend, one of the speakers said he went to his father and he thanked his father that I never found those magazines in our house. Thank you, Dad, that I never, ever found those magazines in our house. Now, he was quick to say, we knew whose house we could go find them in. <laughs> okay, let's, just, let's be real. But, Dad, thank you that I never found them in our house. And as we, as we talked about that Tuesday night, one of the guys after it was over came up to me and says, I had to go to my son and apologize that he found them in our house. <laughs> Dear younger me, most of your pain will be self-inflicted. Your worst pain you will experience is someone you love, um, someone you love dearly friend, family member, or spouse who turns their back to you and walks away. This will cause you so much pain that you will erect a barrier around your heart. After this, you will allow people to only get so close to avoid that type of pain. The love of family, spouse, and friends will never reach you. Even God's love stands at this wall. Try and find a way to lower the barrier. Receive all the love that's out there. Until you do, you can't even truly Love yourself. Someone amongst us sits with us every Sunday, battles every Sunday, allowing God to love him. Dear younger me, you may fool everyone else that everything is awesome, act, but I know that deep down you often feel like you always have to do and say the perfect thing. That it's a disappointment if you don't have everything figured out. So if there's one piece of advice I could give, it would be that it's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to not be okay all the time and to ask people for help. You may fool everyone else with that everything is awesome act. <laughs> Older me is saying to younger me. But I know 
that deep down you often feel like you have to do and say the perfect thing and that it's a disappointment if you don't have everything figured out. It's okay not to be okay. And it's okay to ask other people for help. Proverbs chapter 15. Plans fail for a lack of counsel. How many of us guys were just too stinking prideful to ask? We don't want people to know that we don't know, and that's pride. How many of us, how many of us in class, we didn't want to hold our hand up to ask a question, and then someone finally did, and we all had the same question that that person did, didn't we? You know, that's the way it happens, gang. We just were too something, but then someone finally has the courage to do it, and we, well, we're glad they asked because we didn't know. It's okay to say, I don't understand. Would you go over that again? It's okay to go to your teacher after class and say, I really didn't get that last part at all. Could you show me? It's really okay. In fact, the teacher will think good of you when you do. And let me tell you, kids, if you're between a B and an A, and you're the one that always comes in and asks questions and she really thinks that you're really into it, sometimes those B's miraculously become A's. Don't they? They do. But if you never come in, you, you know, she thinks you don't give a rip, you know, that 89 will stay in 89. It won't go to a 90. I've been a school teacher. Okay? No one saw my grade book but me, okay? I'm just telling you. Teachers want to, most teachers want to help kids. But they can't help you unless you go ask them. It's okay to not be okay in, in that realm or any other realm. To go to the pastor, to go to the counselor, to go to the boss. If the boss is worth anything, if the pastor is worth anything, they're going to appreciate your willingness to learn. There's safety in a multitude of counselors. I like this one a lot. If I could tell you, my younger me, something, it would be that all those tears I cried about a boy not liking me because I was the chubby girl, it would be okay because God will send you someone that will love you. Be a great husband, wonderful father, and make you feel beautiful every day. If I could tell my younger me something, it would be that all those tears I cried about a boy not liking me because I was the chubby girl. I would tell her it's going to be okay because God will send you someone that will love you, be a great husband, a wonderful father, and make you feel beautiful every day dear younger me I know how you struggled within yourself 
not quite able to cope with emotions of sadness, anger, depression, or stress. Never felt uh, worthy or quite good enough. A people pleaser, straight A student, homecoming queen, but yet a loner with low self-esteem, poor self-image, and worthlessness. You never saw yourself as beautiful, so you turned to bulimia to try and perfect your image. It was a dark secret, binging and purging all the way through high school and college. I want to tell you two capital letters. I want to tell you to stop with the negative self-talk. I want to tell you to stop with the negative self-talk. When you hear negativity in your head, it may come from your humanity, your flesh. It may come from the devil. It don't come from God. When you hear condemnation that you're such a loser and that you're so ugly and no one will ever like you and you'll never make anything, that is the enemy or it's your humanness. God doesn't say things like that. For those that are in Christ, there is no condemnation. Now, now God will convict you, but conviction, there's always hope with conviction. That if I change this, things will be better. Condemnation is things will never get better. You're a loser. Things will never change. I want you to capital letters stop with the negative self-talk. Proverbs 23, verse 7, the New King James says, For as he thinks in his heart, so he is. We've said many times here that the thought is the father of the deed. If I'm bulimic, there has to be some thought in my head that I'm fat, I'm overweight, whatever. That thought has to come before the purging. There's a time between the thought and the purging that truth can come into play. Now, it's a whole lot easier for me to say this than it is to be able to put it into play because bulimia, there's, there, there's mental conditions associated with that. But there's also negative self-talk. There's also the enemy. There's also your humanness that's trying to destroy you, take away the truth of God. The thought is the father of the deed. Before you do anything, you have a thought about it. Oh, I wasn't thinking. Yes, you were. You were just thinking stupid stuff. Okay? I don't do anything. I mean, I smacked this. I, I, there, was a, there was a half a second that it went into my mind that I'm going to knock this microphone down. I mean, you may not have thought of the consequences for the action. This... Straight A student, homecoming queen, bulimic, says, Stop, younger me, with the negative self talk. On the, on the, you're going to laugh when you hear this, but this is really deep. And I, dear younger me, this, and this is all it said Dear younger me, don't talk so much. 
Now that's funny, but that's deep. Proverbs 10, 19, at least in one translation, says, Where words are many, sin is not absent. NIV here says, Sin is not ended by multiplying word, but the prudent, the wise, hold their tongue. I, I learned it as where words are many, sin is not absent. And you know that's true. But he who holds his tongue is wise. And you go all the way through the book of Proverbs, and it talks about the wisdom of not saying anything. Now, there's a certain cowardness that comes with keeping your mouth shut, too, and those have to be balanced. Those have to be balanced. Dear younger me, don't talk so much. It's almost like it's not that hard. Just don't talk so much. Look, look, look at the, the trouble that you would have got yourself, wouldn't have got into if you would just shut your mouth. Dear younger me, stop waiting for approval from those who are incapable of giving it. Some of your parents, especially your older people, not older like me. I mean, I mean I'm not older. I'm only 57. Some of you that are, that are kind of middle-aged like me, okay? Your parents were incapable of giving it. Their parents didn't give it to them. I don't understand it. I can't figure it out. I don't need to figure it out. Dear younger me, stop waiting for approval from those who are incapable of giving it. Stop rebelling when you don't receive the love for which you long. You're wasting your energy. How much rebellion do we see out of kids? How much actions do we see out of kids that really gets on our last nerve? It's simply they're rebelling against something that, they, that was a need in their life that they didn't get. And that doesn't excuse the action. The action still has to take care of, but there's, there's layers under there. Stop rebelling when you don't receive the love from which you long. You're wasting your energy. Unconditional love is there for the taking. There is a father who knows your true worth, a father who longs to shower you with love. You can live a life without fear or rejection because you don't have to earn his love. He gives it freely. He has a plan for you, and that plan is better than yours. His goals are higher. There's, there's a couple letters I received from people that said they really wouldn't have changed much in their life. And that's not an egotistical thing as much as what they were saying was they just felt like God used everything in their life, even bad choices, even things that they thought was going to work out one way but worked out another way and the other way was the best way. So there's a few people that said, and that doesn't mean they think every one of their decisions was best. That didn't mean that. But they just look back over their life and see, even on stuff that I did that was stupid, how God somehow orchestrated that. Or not orchestrated my bad decision, but took my bad decision and used it to make the person that they are today. Dear younger me, save sex for your wife. Porn warps your mind. Stay in better physical shape. 
Dear younger me, discipline your children. It will save you and them a lot of heartache later. That's pretty wise. But I want them to like me. Discipline your children. It will save you and them a lot of heartache later. Proverbs 29.17. Proverbs 29.17 says that. Discipline your children and they will give you peace. You know what? When you discipline your children, there's a certain bit of selfishness to that. Because <laughs> I don't want them to be living with me when they're 30. If I don't discipline them, they're going to be a pain for me. Now, I know all the circumstances that some of you discipline and they are still a pain for you. Okay, I know all about that. But one of the reasons you discipline your child is so that when you're older, they will give you peace. You can look back on their family and see them as a functioning person members of our society instead of whatever the opposite of that is they will give you peace they will bring you the delights you desire if you discipline them and one person here evidently didn't feel like he or she did and whatever their kids are going through now they evidently I'm reading into this, I know, are accepting some responsibility for that. Dear younger me, don't spend everything you make. Amen. That didn't include on here. I could say, dear younger me, you don't really need that 60-inch widescreen TV. That you pay twenty nine ninety five a month for the next two hundred and forty two months. <laughs> you know, it's great to go to financial peace, and we just had some people who just went through financial peace, and just they loved it, and they're really biting into it and going for it, and all that is so so good. But you know what? If you just keep one little rule in your mind that you spend less than you make, you're a, you're a step ahead of a lot of people. You're a step ahead of our government. <laughs> this is hard right here. Don't marry a non-Christian. That's hard. That's hard. I don't know who wrote this. It was anonymous. I'm sure the the he or the she that wrote it loves their spouse. I'm sure that. But I think what they're probably saying is there's something missing. Oh, he's not a bad guy. She's not a bad girl. It's not like they're that like all that. It's just there's something missing. 
Dear younger me, don't marry a non-Christian. And even though that I was, that's the way it was written, I would maybe amend that a little bit and says, don't date a non-Christian because dating happens before marriage. And why would you go ahead and fall in love with someone that you know you're not going to marry? And there's people that could stand up and testify. They won't because of all of the ramifications of all that. I've had them in my office in every pastorate I've ever had. It's in the New Testament where the Bible says, you know, you don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. I wanted to stay in Proverbs, so I went and found this verse. You can turn that around both ways now. Turn around both ways. This verse basically says, it's better to live alone on just the corner of a roof than have a whole house with a quarrelsome spouse. Let me just say spouse, okay? <laughs> Who's laughing over there? I mean, Even though that doesn't... That doesn't reach right to the non-Christian part of it. That's about as close as I can come to the book of Proverbs. I could say, dear younger me, be careful who you marry. You don't have to marry the first person that comes along. That's, that's, that's tough. Brings tears to some people. Brings tears to some mothers about who their daughters or, or sons have married. All right, I'll say this. Parents, oh man. Parents, I hope, maybe when my kids are marrying age, I won't think this way. But I love my kids well enough to tell them that I don't think that person is someone they'd be happy with the rest of their life. And I feel like I'd owe it to them. Now, they're going to make their own decision. But why wouldn't I not, I speak into their, all of their other decisions. Why would I not speak in as their parent to the most crucial of decisions? Well, it's, he, they're 18. I love you, son. But mom and dad are not real sure about this. Can we talk about it? You're a grown man. And you're going to do what you decide. But I need you to hear me. This letter was written by someone who told me that they wrote their letter and they decided they weren't going to send it to me because it was so painful. And I challenged them and I said, listen, I hope I said it in a nice way, but I said, listen, when it comes down to it, it's not really about you. It's about how God can use that letter to help someone else. And I, I, get, I, I get the pain and all that. I'm not going to use your name. But would you allow God to use your pain to keep maybe someone else from pain? And they ended up sending it to me. Dear younger me, your parents love you and want the best for you. 
Please obey them. No, really obey them. I know they drive you crazy. And I know they follow the list of rules by the church. But sometimes it doesn't translate into their daily lives or their relationships with each other or your siblings. Sometimes they'll make mistakes and they'll really blow it. But they love you unconditionally. And they really do want what's best for you. This is an interesting paragraph for all of us who belong to the church. Dear younger me, the church is screwed up. And by the way, this, she was writing to her 14-year-old younger me. The church is screwed up. The Nazarene church means well by giving you a list of rules to follow. But they have taken their focus off what is really important, the inside. Your relationship with Jesus is way more important than requiring you to wear a dress to every service. To not attend dances or to go to movies. Hey, middle-aged people like me, your parents meant well. They really, really did. They just, they just missed it in a few areas. Like I'm sure we miss it in a few areas. The church is full of contradictions. They tell you to act and look like a Christian, but in their hearts they are bleeding with sin, exclamation marks. This person evidently had real trouble with the church back whenever. Everyone is full of sin, from pastor to the janitor. Me and you, Jeff. Hey, babe. <laughs> no one is better, and no one has a better advantage over you. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Don't give up on the church, though. They will eventually get it right due to changes in leadership. Don't give up on the church, though. We're a bunch of imperfect people. Don't give up on her, though. I don't know a better, or I'm talking to myself now, I don't know a better organization in the world. Oh, we're, oh, we have problems. Oh, we have problems. But the best people, the best people I've ever met have been in the church. Now, I bet some really losers, too, to be quite honest with you. <laughs> but the best people I've ever met have been in the church of Jesus Christ. I'll include this. It's not as serious as what I just read, but it's important. It's, I resonated with it. <laughs> it said, practice your piano more. I hated it when my mom called me in from playing football. Time to practice your piano. Oh, man. Fingernails on a blackboard for me. I mean, it was horrible. But why well, wish I could play now? I wish I could sit down there and play. Try for the drama team in high school. I know you've been rejected from several things in school. Try again. You can do it. Believe in yourself. I like this. Don't worry about what others think. When you graduate, 
you will not be around any of them after you're 18. (laughs) Now, I know for some of you, you still hang with your high school buddies, okay? But most of us don't anymore. And all these people we were bent out of shape about, we hadn't talked to them for 30 years. We don't go to the reunion anymore. You're not going to be around them after you're 18. They will have no influence in your life. So why do you care so much now? (laughs) All right, this is the last one. I haven't read them all, and and you didn't get yours read, and I just don't have time to do it all, okay? I'm taking this from the song, okay? Dear younger me, I cannot decide. Do I give some speech about how to get the most out of your life, or do I go deep and try to change the choices that you'll make because they're the choices that made me? Younger me, do I try to change the choices that you're making because those choices made me. And all of these letters, it just screamed that your choices matter. And I don't know how, I don't know how to reconcile God's sovereignty, the fact that he is in control, the fact he's omnipotent, the fact that no one is more powerful than, he, than him with our free will. I don't know how to, to jab those two things, but somehow they come together. And they're both taught in Scripture. The choices that my 14-year-old self made are the choices that made me. That doesn't mean those things can't be overcome and can't be forgiven. But choices matter. Choices matter. And that runs through every single letter, and we know that. Proverbs 6. Is that what I have up here, Amy? Can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burned? Choices matter. (laughs) And and, and this is Proverbs 6. And now listen, this is fascinating if you've never caught it. Proverbs 5, 6, and 7. Three whole chapters. One-tenth of the whole book of Proverbs are talking about the dangers. Stay away, my son, from the adulterous woman. And that, this is in the context of adultery, scooping fire, and committing adultery. Uh, uh, looking at the adulterous woman is the same as scooping fire in your lap. You're going to get burned. Dad writes to son, and almost one out of ten verses in the book of Proverbs say, stay away from the adulterous woman. Sin has its consequences. Choices matter, younger me. Choices matter. What else we have? Verse right after that. Can a man walk on hot coals without his feet being scorched? Your choices matter. You're not immune to all this stuff. You're going to get bit. If you play with a snake, you're going to get bit. If you play with fire, you're going to get burnt. And, and the dad 
Solomon tells his son, stay away from the adulterous woman. And he uses a couple analogies like this to say that. But we can use it in any kind of situation. Choices matter. Sin has its consequences. And then we go to Galatians chapter 6, and I'll finish right there. And this is, this is preached as a negative verse, but it's positive too if you read the whole thing. Don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. No farmer puts corn in the ground and gets beans out. Whatever you sow, you will reap. Okay? Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit. See, this sowing and reaping is a good thing too. If you make good choices, if you sow to please the Spirit, you're going to reap good things. So if I've spent my life and I've come to grips with it, I'm 30 years old and I've been sowing a bunch of nothing all my life. Man, I can start today sowing good stuff. And that, the whole law of sowing and reaping will work to my good instead of working to my bad like it's been for 30 years. Because when I start sowing good stuff, I'll start reaping good stuff. When I start making good decisions, I'll start reaping good consequences. But so many times us preachers, we sit up there, oh, you're going to... Reap what you sow, and it's a negative thing. And it is a negative thing, but that verse is negative and positive. How many times can we say it loud enough? And how many times can I say it so I'll get it through my thick head? Choices matter. Younger me, older me, middle-aged me, when are you going to learn this lesson? I'll close with this thought. If we had actually received this Dear Younger Me letter, would it have done any good? I don't think it would have for me. I was hard-headed. And unfortunately, I had to learn myself. And you know, when you learn something yourself, you really learn it. And so parents, when your kids are stubborn and you've told them a hundred times, it gets on our last nerve. I know it does. I know it does. But they're just as hard-headed as you were. And maybe it'll get through their thick head. Someone told me this way back in 1995, before I ever married Sue. He said in a Sunday school class, he said, why, why do I try to save my kids from all the bad things that made me the person that I've become? Just like in the first service, I've gone way too long, and I'm sorry, but it's probably irreverent, but we're not going to have a table today. I'm just going to leave it right there. Thank you for your letters. I hope you'll glean something from each of these. Father, take what has been said, what has been written, what has been read, and use it in all of our lives today. In Jesus' name, amen.